0: music. Our passage today, we're going to continue in James. Our passage today is uh, James chapter 3 verses 13 through chapter 4 verse 3. Now, so, uh, some scholars, in fact a good number of scholars, see a hard break between chapter 3 and chapter 4. Uh, but it, there are a number of scholars who also believe that, that there can be… An, argument for the unity of the passage starting in verse 13 of chapter 3 all the way through verse 3 of chapter 4. That the, that the theme that holds those two uh, paragraphs together is the theme of peacemaking, of peace. Um, and so with that in mind, we're, we're going we're to take uh, that approach to our passage today. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them. We are in James chapter 3 beginning in verse 13. Hear the Word of God. to spend it on your passions may god add his blessing to the reading of this word may god bless our time together as well do you have your own list of funny but wrong films you know those films that you you watch and 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 you laugh you laugh quite a bit but you you wonder should i really have watched that film so there's a, a film that uh, came out a long time ago, and I remember watching it soon after it came out, and, and I did laugh. But at the end, uh, the sum total of the irreverency in the film just made me sit there going, it's funny, but it might be a little wrong. So this film is The Life of Brian. And so The Life of Brian looks at, at this individual named Brian, who's a contemporary of Jesus and and his experiences, Jesus does his work. And, and I don't remember all aspects of the film, but there's this one uh, little clip of the film that is the one that kind of torments me and also makes me laugh going forward from the film. It has to do with the uh, time that Jesus was teaching uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And so, the clip begins with, with this tight shot of Jesus as he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he's going through the Beatitudes. And and then the camera pulls back and there's this crowd that's all around Jesus. And the camera keeps pulling back and, the, and back into the very edge of the crowd. And there's Brian and, and some, of, uh, some more people at the very back edge. And they can barely hear. It's so hard to hear them. And I can't remember if it's Brian or someone else speaks up. And he says, hey, we can't hear you. Speak up. And, and, and they're asking each other, well, what, what is he saying? And they start to get after each other. In fact, there's a man who scratches his nose. And his wife starts getting all over him going, don't pick your nose in public. And and they start fighting about that. And and at one point, one of the people says, I think he said, blessed are the cheesemakers. And that's why. And now I just ruined it for you. Every time you're going to hear blessed are the peacemakers, you're always going to think, blessed are the cheesemakers. But it really is kind of one of those poignant moments. Here Jesus is talking about peace, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And here in the crowd, they're arguing about just the smallest little things and going after each other. You know, it's an interesting thing that our willingness to participate in distractions from making peace Sometimes we're not even aware of it. We're for peace. It's not like we're against peace. If someone were to ask us, are are you for peace? In fact, are you for the biblical vision of peace, this this wholeness, this contentment, this life full of joy, security? Are you for peace? There may be some people that wouldn't be for that, but the majority of us are for it. And yet, when you look at our lives we're often given to distraction away from peace. We want it, but do we value it? You see, if, if we valued it, wouldn't we be working for it, that we would pursue it and make it a priority in our life? I gave myself a little check on this. I, I, I know that every year we give out the Nobel Peace Prize, that someone wins this prize. And, and I asked just myself of how many people I could name you know, the most recent recipients of the Nobel Peace Prize. I'm sorry, I couldn't come up with anybody. I I went, I I looked at the list. Maybe you already uh, know all the folks. Uh, 2019, Abiy Ahmed Ali, who's a prime prime minister of Ethiopia, he won it for his efforts to achieve peace and international cooperation, and in particular for his decisive initiative to resolve the border conflict with neighboring Eritrea. 2018, it was Dr. Dennis McGwege, who's a Congolese gynecologist and Pentecostal pastor. He, along with Nadia Murad, who's an Iraqi human rights activist living in Germany, they won for their efforts to end the use of sexual violence as a weapon of war and armed conflict. And I began to read back through this list, and, and these people just aren't familiar. I'm just not familiar with them. And I, I wondered about who my heroes are. And I started thinking, okay, well, I can think of these international people. I, I, I can think of these sports figures. I, I, I can think of these entertainers. But clearly, the making of peace, the drama of peacemaking in this world had not risen to that level of value in my life where I was tracking it as my heroes. You know, last week when we looked at the first half of chapter 3 and uh, we saw that James was saying, beware the tongue. With the idea that the tongue as a way to talk about uh, the brokenness of our hearts and our minds, that, that it comes out. It, our tongue reveals it. Our words reveal it. And it turns out that this powerful, dangerous, discouraging, duplicitous tongue of ours, that it often works against peace. So in this text, what, what James does is he turns the corner. He, begins to, he explains a little bit more of how that works, but he starts to give us a way forward that's different, some choices to be made. In fact, our passage, our passage We'll focus on peace that sows a harvest of righteousness. And we'll get to there. But, but we're going to get to there through the, what James provides. And he provides two questions, two choices, and two explanations. Two questions, two choices, and two explanations. So first of the two questions, And as Joshua was mentioning, these are rhetorical questions. They're interesting, though. They're, they're interesting in the way that the first of the questions is seldom asked but often answered and the second of the question is is often asked but seldom answered so let's take a look at the first one this is the question that is seldom asked but often answered who is wise and understanding among you can you imagine what it would look like if we asked that question all the time if we were to lift that up, that, that if, let's say we're at work and we have a group of people gathered together and, and we simply sat there and who is wise and understanding among us? And we just listen and people would put their, their thoughts out there and there was this openness that we didn't have to defend them. It was an openness until we all discerned where, where wisdom was. There were no power plays. Can you imagine a couple? Maybe a husband and wife and and, and they're working through an issue and and they sat there and they said, who is wise and understanding among us? And there was this openness to it. Not a power play, not a defending, not trying to say, I'm right and you're wrong, but there was a, a shared commitment to understanding and to wisdom. A question we seldom ask but often answer. And so the answer we often give, our typical answer is this, I am wise and understanding. Now, we don't say it like that. That's not how we voice the answer. It comes out more like this. Well, here's how I see it. The thing is, by the way, that's my default one. The thing is, like, I know the thing, the taproot issue of anything. The thing is, and then I give my wisdom and understanding. Or maybe it sounds like this. This is when someone wants to couch their wisdom in humility. I don't know much, but it just seems to me. And then we express our wisdom and understanding. If that's the first question, the second question comes to us uh, in in verse 1 of chapter 4. This is the one that is often asked but seldom answered. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, we don't always ask it that way. It often comes out more like this. Who started it? Why do you have to be so mean, so intolerable, so whatever? What's wrong with you? Can you imagine if we actually paused and considered that question from a position of humility? You know, and uh, the work that I, um, I, I, I do with couples as they uh, uh, proceed to prepare themselves for marriage, uh, there's a tool that I use, and and the tool comes with this exercise to uh, learn about resolving conflict, and so it's got ten steps to it, and and when I sit down with a couple and we we go through those ten steps, and I encourage them, please take some conflict that you happen to have in your relationship and sit down and go through all 10 steps of this conflict resolution exercise. And I say to them that you may never ever use all 10 steps again, but I would like you to at least be exposed to that. And then after they go through that exercise on their own, they come back and we meet again. I'll ask them, which of those steps seem to be most helpful to you? And the one that seems to come up the most is the one where it says, how did I contribute to the problem? How did I contribute to the problem? And it turns it around. What causes quarrels and fights among you? And when, in that humility of, of being able to say, instead of saying, well, of course it's them, but being able to say, you know, in any conflict, what am I adding to it? What am I bringing to this? Two questions. Two questions about wisdom and about quarrels, about discord. So both questions are related to the idea of choice. So let's take a look at two choices. Two choices. One of the choices that James puts before us is God provided wisdom. Wisdom from above. The other choice that we have is homegrown wisdom. Homegrown wisdom. So let's take a look at homegrown wisdom first. And this really comes to us from verses 14 and 15 james points out that we suffer from bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in our hearts bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in our hearts now if you recall the situation in which james is writing to the to the churches that are beyond jerusalem and and even last week he had uh, he had brought up the whole thing you know not many of you uh, should become teachers and we said last week that, that people wanted to be teachers because it was a, play, it was a, a position of respect and, and, and people would, uh, would consider you something. And there was a voice of power in being a teacher. And James was saying, you shouldn't do that. And now he's coming along and going, listen, you know why a number of you want to do that? It's because of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. But we know that these are things alive and well in us and in our culture as, as well. You know, it's interesting that, that um, it, it used to just be church where we did this. You know, the, the, the routine we've talked about before. The routine where, where you, you get in the car with the family and, and, and you kind of yell at each other on the way to church. and You better mind your manners. And, and, you know, or maybe there's a silent treatment taking place. and You show up to church, you get out of the car, and then you're the perfect family. You suck it up for a little over an hour. You get back in the car, oh, and then you're back at it again. Well... Uh, Because of Facebook, it's no longer just a church, right? So we put our best pictures. We dress it up and and we go, listen, this is my life. Look at how many awards my children win. And hey, we're traveling this week. And look at the places we get to go. And and so someone else looks at that. And we look at other people's posts and and we get jealous. And and so we have this ambition. Well, I'm going to live it. I'm going to do that. I'm going to top it. Or even worse, we know the distinction between the reality of that other person's life and what they're putting on Facebook and we judge them and we hold it against them. I know, you're so fake. and We have this bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. In fact, in our country, in our culture, we have ambition as something that we really want our kids to have. We nurtured it. We cultivate it in our kids. We want them to be ambitious, to, to, to go for the goal, to go for the best. All too often, however, we don't help them understand what kind of filter needs to go on that. What 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 kind of ambition is the kind that really serves the individual well, that serves God well, that serves the community well? What kind of ambition is that? This homegrown uh, wisdom then is earthly, James says. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. The ungodliness of world wisdom. Furthermore, he goes on to say, uh, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every kind of vile practice. So the other choice he gives then, if that's the homegrown wisdom, the other kind of wisdom he gives is the wisdom from above. And he calls out, there's these eight descriptors he provides. And really the first one serves as a title, as, as a way of introducing all the others. And then he groups the others. And that first title description he gives is, uh, wisdom from above is pure. In our house we have a RO system. And that means at the back of our sink there's this extra little spigot that, that we can get uh, purified water in. Uh, water that's going through some extra filters and a, 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 and a reverse osmosis membrane. And anyway, so you have to replace those filters from time to time. And I went and I replaced them and I took it out. And, and, and I know that through our tap uh, water, our, our faucets, we already get filtered water. It's already treated water. But in that primary filter of the RO system, the first one I pulled it out and it had been white when I first put it in. It had been just beautifully all just pure white. When I took it out, it was a dark brown and rust color soaked all the way through because the RO system filters out additional impurities. And so the wisdom from above, it filters out jealousy and selfish ambition so that it's peaceable and gentle and open to reason, that it's full of mercy and good fruits, that it's impartial and that it's sincere, that it's not, and this is a big theme for James, that it's not duplicitous, it's not uh, two-faced. And this kind of wisdom then results in this peacemaking in our lives. And here's where the NIV actually, I believe, has a, does a better job of interpreting than the ESV in this, in this verse, that it's peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. The wisdom of God moves toward peacemaking. And it's interesting how he puts it, that, that uh, peacemaking, that this peace that we're making and sowing this peace, that it results not in worldwide peace, but in a harvest of righteousness. We know that not everybody's going to agree with peacemaking efforts. And many of our peacemaking efforts will not be successful. But they'll be successful at uh, producing a harvest of the things that honor God. A harvest of righteousness. Okay, so you might be saying, okay, these two choices, this is such a binary option. How come the Bible is so binary? Now, we know that the Bible's not always binary. We, we know that there are times where the, that, the, that there's a tension that there's these things that are put in there that we're not to choose between one and the other, but that they're both together. Like God is holy and God is loving. And we hold those two things in wonderful tension. God is completely demanding and, and wonderfully forgiving. And this is beautiful that God are these things together. And yet there's this also this choice throughout Scripture to choose darkness or to choose light. To choose death or to choose life. To choose what is ungodly or to choose what is godly and James is underscoring there's a choice to be made between homegrown wisdom or godly wisdom it's a choice we have before us one results in a harvest of righteousness the other in disorder and every vile practice all right so then he gives two explanations We have two questions, two choices, now two explanations. And this comes to us in the second part of verse 1 in chapter 4, all the way through verse 3. One of the explanations has to do with the horizontal reality we experience, the relationships with others. And the other explanation has to do with the vertical, our understanding of how this works with God. In the horizontal we find this, the two explanations, the, the first explanation, the horizontal we quarrel, we fight, we quarrel because our passions are at war within us. We desire and do not have, so we murder. We slight the other, we, we remove their, their human dignity, we, we treat them as less than something uh, that they are, that they're not made in the image of God, we trample all over that. We desire and do not have, so we murder. We covet and cannot obtain, so we fight and quarrel. You know, this is a, a, a long standing practice of Christians, unfortunately. It's all too common today, but uh, in uh, Dr. Moo's uh, commentary on this uh, passage, he actually quotes from Spinoza. He's a 17th century Jewish philosopher. And here's from his time. Here was his take on Christians. Here's how he put it. I have often wondered that persons who make boast of professing the Christian religion. So he wonders about Christians. And he describes Christianity this way. He goes, namely, love, joy, peace, temperance, and charity to all people. That these people should quarrel with such rancorous animosity and display toward one another such bitter hatred that this rather than the virtues they profess, is the readiest criteria of their faith. What an indictment. And we know it's also true. We've experienced it ourselves probably. This wisdom, this choice. The challenge is that the way we go about this wisdom is that for a lot of us, the way it's broken is that we put our desires above our wisdom, so that we give priority to our desires, whatever ambition, and, and we can call that ambition anything we want—self, uh, selfish ambition. We put our desires, our jealousy, whatever our desires are, we put it above our wisdom, and then we want a wisdom that fits our desires. And what God focuses on is that He wants to redeem that, He wants to transform that, He wants to make it different, so that His wisdom, His wisdom which is pure and peaceable and gentle, which is open to reason and, and full of mercy and good fruits, that that's impartial and sincere, that that would be a, the top place, and that our desires then that we would submit, that we would bring them below that wisdom. The explanation of why we get into, into these, these conflicts and quarrels is because we put our desires above wisdom and we develop a wisdom to support our desires rather than saying God's wisdom trumps everything and our desires come under that wisdom. And then he shifts to the vertical explanation. He goes, We do not have because we do not ask. And so the people, some of us don't even turn to God and go, God, give me your wisdom so that I can put my desires on, under it. He goes, we do not have because we do not ask, but in those times when we do ask, we ask and do not receive because we ask wrongly. You know, in um, James 1.5, James had already said that if anyone lacks wisdom, ask God and he'll give it abundantly w- without reproach. But here he's saying, listen, if, if you're asking for wisdom underneath your desires… If you're going to subordinate that wisdom, you're asking wrongly. If you're asking wisdom to support your desires, that that messes it up. And instead to ask the wisdom of God that then we can subject our desires to it. That's where God gives abundantly, peaceably, gentle, open to reason. All right, so it comes down to this. There are passions and desires at war in us. Passions and desires at once. Ask ourselves, do we really want peace? Do we really want peace? In the second part of verse 13, James writes, By our good conduct, let us show our works in the meekness of wisdom, in the humility of wisdom. That God's wisdom produces a humility. God's wisdom, when we let it be in its rightful place in our our lives, that it produces this humility, and that, that turns into everyday good conduct and works being lived out. Do we really want to be peacemakers? Do we really want to sow a harvest of righteousness through pursuing peace? God's wisdom being lived out. Let's say we do. Let me give us these three things that we can focus on then. The first is this decide. Decide, make the choice. Do you want homegrown wisdom or do you want wisdom from above? Just make that declaration. For some of us, it might mean that today we need to set aside some time in our day and just to say, be with God. Maybe we're kneeling at the side of our bed, writing God a letter, whatever it might be. We just make that decision God, I want your wisdom. And I want to submit my desires under it. Of course, it's going to then be a decision we're going to have to make a hundred times every single day. Every time there's that opportunity to respond to someone. Of coming under, God, I want your wisdom in this time. I want to live under your wisdom. I feel these, these things inside me, but I want to live under your wisdom. The second thing is this. If the first is decide, the second is this. Root out warring passions root out warring passions knowing that these desires are in us and it's so easy to to return to that selfish ambition whether it's to protect ourselves or 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 to um, uh, fend off vulnerability or 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 to get our way or or to provide for our comfort or or whatever it is to to champion the other person and those things are going to be in there and so we root them out and and that might be something we do a hundred times a day again God, this, this desire's in me. This desire to win. This desire to champion the other person even if it costs them their sense of security. I don't care. I and we root that out so that those desires are replaced with mercy and good fruits and sincerity. If we decide, we root out then the third thing is we pursue peace. We pursue peace, making peace. We offer shalom. We offer fullness and joy and sense of that community we pursue peace the kind that bears the fruit of righteousness that's pure peaceable gentle open to reason this is god's wisdom jesus said blessed are the peacemakers he didn't say cheesemakers he said blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of god let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the insights of James, and we thank you uh, for connecting the dots for us. God, we, we trust that you are at work in us, and, and, and help us to be clear about that decision in our lives, that we're for you, that we want to be about your will for our lives that we want to be peacemakers in this world so god help us to decide help us to root out the very things that keep us mixed up in the discord and people who propagate quarrels and fights and settle for far less than you want to give us and god as we decide and we root out we pray god that you would help us to then be people who make peace at every turn in our homes in our most intimate of relationships in our friendships and and in our work relationships and in the community and across zip codes and, and that we would be known not for our quarreling but for our peacemaking. For we are children of the living God and we give you praise in Christ's name. Amen.